0: Good morning. Welcome to Morning Matters at 10. My name is Paul Meyrent. I'll be your host today. Morning Matters is part of the Acts 17 Accord, a ministry committed to preparing God's people to live righteous, spirit-filled lives to the end of the age. <clears throat> Our mission is really to come alongside the church and build the church up, members of the body of Christ. We're basically a foundational ministry. We believe in foundational doctrines, teachings, practices things that we believe are necessary to live a godly life and i believe that foundationally the many things that we have to deal with there's and there are many <laughs> the, many things going on in the world today we really need to understand what the bible teaches and i believe the bible is the foundation of the christian faith now people say oh i love jesus i want to follow jesus well the only way you know jesus is through the scriptures so the scriptures we must understand the scriptures properly We've been spending the last few weeks on Genesis and um, really the the greatest lie ever told, the, the lie of the long ages of time, the deception that I believe comes through that. We have, um, <clears throat> we've spent several weeks on that. We're going to try to finish it today. Maybe next week we'll talk about Israel and what's going on with the Palestinian conflict. Either that or we'll talk about immigration. We'll be doing those over the next, over the next couple of weeks. So I want to continue this conversation today and... And I realized that it's, um, this is a hard topic. I I just got to tell you, you know, I have a conversation with friends this week and many online people complaining and saying this and that. And, you know, I've been called false teacher and all sorts of things. And that's fine. I don't, I don't really care what people really think, but I do believe this is a critical issue, but it's also really difficult it's difficult to talk about something that we disagree with. And I've been trying to figure out, Lord, what, what what do we say? I mean, what do we do? I mean, is there any topic that's not controversial? You know, should we meet on Saturday or Sunday? Now, that's controversial. We had a Bible study, we talked about that and kind of got into a little bit of a, you know, not a tussle or anything, but just, you know, back and forth over it. And what's the answer? Well, does it matter? You can meet, you know, Paul said ultimately in that case, it doesn't really matter. You can meet on Saturday or Sunday. I believe he teaches that. And, and, in uh, Colossians, but, but there are other topics. How do you baptize? You know, does it matter? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of topics. I mean, some that are very important. Can you have sex before marriage? Can you have gay marriage? Can you have, you know, transgenderism and and all of that whole mess? And then you've got, you know, just, there's just, just a number of topics and All of them have some level of controversy on it. And so you think as a teacher, well, I don't want to have controversy with people. I want to just, you know, you want to get along. You want to be nice, all of those sorts of things. Well, it's not always possible. Jesus said he came to bring a sword and to bring division. There is division because of Jesus. There's division because of truth. Everything is not right. Whatever you believe is not right just because you believe it. Just because I believe it doesn't make it right. The foundation of it has to be somewhere. And that foundation, to me, in my understanding of the world, and the worldview, is found in the scriptures. And I think that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are foundational for almost everything that we believe in the Christian faith. I mean, it affects it affects everything. The sin, sin the fall, um, what's the role of men and women, uh, what's the, you know... You know, immigration is affected by it. The division of the nations is affected by it. Um, you know, the flood, was it a genuine earthwide or a worldwide flood? Or does that matter? Well, just believe what you want. No, I think these things matter and I think they affect our doctrines and our, and our understandings. Um, you know, it's like, and I, I say this I mean, there are many old earth creationists who have a great walk with God, love Jesus, and spend their lives serving Him. But there's millions more. If you take liberal Christianity and you look at what liberalism was 110 years ago, and what is progressive Christianity today? Number one thing that they reject is evolution, creationism. They reject creationism. Now, like I say, excuse me there. Like I say, many old earthers have kind of figured out a way to make Genesis fit with the old the conventional paradigm of an old earth. But so many millions have not. This is a foundational doctrine. It's the first two books of the Bible, and, the, and it's, it's such a powerful teaching. It's such a power, powerful narrative. I mean, if you take Genesis 1 through the end of the Bible, you have a 6,000-year narrative of time. And that is in complete conflict and contradiction with, with scientific worldview. They're not. They can't. In my mind, they cannot be resolved. Now, you know, if I was convinced science was right, you know, I might have a little different view of that. I've got something tickling in my nose. Um, I might have a different view, but I'm not convinced that's true. So the issue is what does, to me, there's two issues. Number one, is science right when it says the earth is billions of years old? Number two, is the Bible right when it says the earth is 6,000? They can't both be true. I choose the Bible. Number one, because that's what it says. Now, if it said six million, if it didn't have all the details, you know, maybe we could we could fudge on that. But it gives you lots of details that I think are scientific, and I think that are factual in our narrative. Science has made several problems, and they have several problems with their with their viewpoint. Um, again, it's naturalism, uniformity, anti-supernaturalism, anti-catastrophism. All of these philosophies and belief systems came into prominence after Charles Lyell and others wrote. Um, so today. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just go through Genesis, and we're going to look at a couple of things that I think are really important. We'll try to just read through it and, and get some answers from it. I believe the earth dogma. excuse me, I believe that scriptures dogmatically teach the earth is young. Now, some people said, well, that doesn't if you teach that at all. No, it does. If you take the six days of creation, you take all of the genealogies from Genesis 5 through Genesis 11, and you add them up, and you add all of that time from it. gives you specific dates, ages, how, many, how long people lived, etc. Okay? Now, some people don't believe people could have ever lived that long. Well, I don't think that's true. I think we could have lived that long. I think we could live forever. There's no reason our bodies have to decay and die. Right, you know, because only because of sin. That's the only reason that happens, and, and what's happened to the world. But we could probably live forever. There's people live a long time now, and not hundreds and hundreds of years. But still, hundred twenty people. I've heard stories of people live one hundred fifty years. Anyway, the point of it is, is that it's a narrative, and it goes through, and it gives us a picture. So you got six, you got two thousand years between Abraham, or between Adam and Abraham, two thousand years between Abraham and Christ, and two thousand years. So I believe that is the. That is a biblical worldview. That's what the Bible most clearly teaches. I'm not saying it's the only way to understand that, but I'm saying that's the most clear interpretation. So in me, that's a dogmatic teaching. I think it clearly teaches that. And we have to go through that. Again, we talk about does it matter? Yeah, I think it does matter. And there's, there's a couple reasons. I Last week or the week before, I can't remember which week before, I gave you eight reasons. Eight reasons why... Um, let see if I put this in here. Yeah. Uh, eight reasons... Why I believe it matters. Okay, I gave you the, you know, I'm not go into them again, but I left one out. That <laughs> was kind of surprising. By the way, I put some resources on our website. You can go there. We've got a bunch of resources. I got, a, I got about eight, six, seven, eight videos of is Genesis history from them. I also have a, a, a video of from Babylon B with an interview with Jason Lyle, who's a doctor, and astrophysic, astrophysicist. Uh, um, And he's really good. I like this guy a lot. He's got a really good, strong biblical worldview, and he's very articulate. And I would encourage you guys to watch that. I mean, I've given a lot of the same arguments. I didn't get those necessarily from him because I just watched this video, but they're arguments that I've seen from a number of other places. You know that I think deal with the age of the earth, but he gave a, he gave two th- two things that I didn't didn't give to you, and so I'm going to give you those today. The first reason, this is his first reason why this matters, and I agree with that. I just I knew this, but I just forgot to teach it, so I'm going to teach it now. So here we go. Uh, the Bible teaches that death came into the world because of man's sin, and you know in in Genesis chapter I didn't put this first out. Excuse me. Uh, let me find it here real quick. This is not a good way. Let me see if I have it in. Uh, no, here we go. Here's, here's the Bible. All right, let's go to. We're going to look at this. This is Genesis. It's going to be in chapter 3. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Sorry about that. I should have put this out. I meant to, and didn't get back to it. Now the serpent was more crafty, this is verse one, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden, of any tree in the garden? Okay, so here's Satan. Now we it's he came as a serpent. Now was he was that a literal snake that talked? I, I really don't know. I think it's conceivable that he could have, I mean God had a donkey talk to to Balaam, you know, and there's a couple other times when, you know, animals are talked supernaturally, God does something. I think more likely it probably has something to do with, it has something more to do with uh, maybe a metaphor. He would come like a snake, like a serpent, nice like we have that saying today. Um, but it doesn't matter. It could be either way. I know Michael, Dr. Michael Heiser has a view on that, and I haven't read all of it. I was in the process of reading that. But this serpent, Satan, s- spoke to Eve and said, Did God actually say to you, You should not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you are not to eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the f- tree was good for fruit and that it was of light to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So Adam and Eve were together in the garden. And we talked about this, and we'll come back and teach on it again. But uh, they, they were both there when when Eve was deceived. Eve was deceived, and the Bible says she sinned, 1 Timothy 2. Then the both, eyes of both of them were opened, and they made, they knew that they were naked. They s- sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths out of, out of these... Um, they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. They made the first, first clothes were, were cloth. <laughs> they weren't. Okay, so what's, what's happening here? So this is imperative. It says, God said, you shall not eat, verse 3, but you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the idea here is that it's dying, you shall die. Because Adam and Eve did not die immediately, but dying they died, actually, their bodies. Death entered into the world at this point when they took of the fruit. Dying, you shall die, right? And then let's look at, um, let's let's move this over, we'll pull this back. Let's look in Romans chapter 12, or choose Romans chapter five. Here, Here, Paul says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love to us and that while we were still sinners, when did we become sinners? In the garden. Adam and Eve became sinners, and we were in them, and we became sinners. God looked at us as if we were there, and every one of us would have made the same decision they did. Christ died for us much more than because we are... Um, I'm in verse nine, by the way. Because we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from God's wrath. For if we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more since we have been reconciled will be saved by His life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we now received this reconciliation. This goes back to what happened in the garden. We were broken. Our relationship with God was broken. We physically began to die, and spiritually we died as well. Well, our spirits didn't die, but our spirit, death ultimately means separation. So our spirit was separated from God. So there was this wall between mankind and God. This is fundamental Christianity. This is basic number one Christianity. Everything about Christianity starts with the sin nature of man. Well, it starts with God and his love and his curses. But on our perspective, I mean, it's all about sin. See, God, it's, it's God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. And God bringing those two things together in Christ and to redeem mankind. That's his intention. He gave Adam and Eve free choice. He gives us free choice. We choose to do the things that we do. We have free will to do things that are disobedient to God. We have the right to do that. God gave you that. It's like people say, well, how can God control everything? He doesn't. He doesn't control you. Now he can intervene in many ways and stop certain things from happening, but basically you have free will. You say, God, how can all-powerful God do this? Well, He's he technically is all-powerful, but if He gives some of His power to you and I, then He's not powerful over that. He's let go of that. He's given that to us. And that's what He did. So here's the key verse. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all have sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but there was no accounting for sin when there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who was a type of the, of the coming one, transgressed. For, so from Adam on, death existed. There was no death before the fall. Now let's take let's go back, let's go back to Genesis. Let me find that verse here. Here we go. Let's go back to Genesis chapter one. I'm just going to read this to you. Now I put a resource on our website as well. The resource is about the gap theory, and it's it's written by Don Williams. It's on Bible. I can't remember the name of it. I just took the link, put it there. If you're interested in studying the gap theory, it would be. I think it's worth doing. It's it's a good it's a good teaching on it. He gives you both. He gives you the view, and then he contradicts it. But. You know we just need to, we just need to read it most of you may not yet know what the gap theory is we'll talk about that in just a second as we read so let's just read genesis chapter one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now <laughs> what the gap theory says well first of all let's go this what does it mean in the beginning well i believe it's in the beginning of matter it's the beginning of the material world the material world did not exist before creation In the beginning of all things, you could add, in the beginning of the creation of the heavens and earth, in the beginning of them, there was no matter before that. God is a spirit. He lives in a spiritual kingdom. Angels are spirits. You know, fallen angels and, and, um, and the principalities and powers and forces of darkness are all spiritual. They do not have corporal bodies like us. And corporal, I mean material. This is real. You know, all, the, all these things are real. Air is real, right? Light, energy, space, everything is real. So when God, so in the beginning, I believe refers to the beginning of the creation of matter. And the Bible says that God spoke it into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created everything. In other words, there was no material. There was no preatomic material. There was no already created. There was nothing. God created the heavens and the earth. He created All matter. And that's the realm that we live in. But when he created us, of course, he put our spirit in us. So we're spirit and material, material and spiritual beings. We're both. Now, some people say that, you know, I mean, there's three different ways to look at this. I'm not going to go into him. I look at it as simply an overview statement. He's just making a statement in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's saying, I created it all. And then he goes in verse two and says, this is how I did it. This is my process. So. Verse two says the earth was, out, was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the gap theory, this is a belief came about 1814. I don't remember the man's name. And this was even before Lyell and and those guys published his work, the Principles of Geology. So we know that probably for several, maybe 100 years, 50 years at least, the theory of an old Earth was was being pushed around the world. People were arguing and discussing that. And of course, when Lyell and Hutton did their damage, it was it just they were kind of almost like anointed by the enemy, I believe, to make this thing really take off and to deceive the church. But people in the church were already being deceived. The Gap Theory was written by a man who wanted to rap, to harmonize the Bible. He wanted to harmonize the Bible with, with, it, with the old ages that were already being taught and believed in. And Lyell was the one who propagated it, to the, made it popular, but this thing already existed. So he says between verses 1 and 2, there is this gap, and the gap is... unknown period of time but basically he's saying in the beginning when god created the heavens and earth it was perfect right then something happened there was some sort of fall he says well maybe it was the angelic fall when satan fell and and uh you know went through this process when satan did the things that he did led the angels in rebellion and he came to the earth and there was some sort of pre-human form not exactly like us but there was some sort of humans that lived on the earth and the fall and so god destroyed it all and um, you know, then in verse two or verse three, then he starts to, to recreate. You know, there's a lot of words they use that, uh, And I I have that article on there and I I just don't really want to go through it. But, you know, basically the Hebrew words, they go, oh, the earth was form and void. God didn't create void things without form. He didn't do that. The darkness represented demonic stuff. It was a spiritual darkness. And, you know, so there's this period of time that's written that existed in the gap theory between verses one and verses two. Now, there are a lot of reasons why I disagree with that. Number one is the one we're talking about where we just talked about. Where did sin and death come from? I mean, basically any view that teaches that the day age view teaches the same thing, that there was death and disease. So they had all these ages and then somewhere along the line, all of this death and destruction because they believe the fossils are millions of years old, which is incorrect. Fossils are not millions of years old. They have dated fossils. Uh, they do, they found living tissues, stretchable tissue, tissue with um, carbon 14 in it, which it can't possibly be. Carbon 14 is virtually gone in a half in its half life, 5780 years or 30 years whatever it is. It's virtually gone. It's certainly gone over after 50,000 years or 100,000. They're gone completely. But we find lots of carbon in in coal which was a living thing. It was the trees that got crushed in the flood. And there was, so there's carbon in it. They were alive. They were, they're not millions of years old at all whatsoever. In fact, it teaches the opposite. They find diamonds buried in the center of the earth. They've broken them up and found DNA or found carbon-14 in them. And it's all over the place. And so you know, there, there are some questions about that that doesn't answer every possible thing. Dr. Lyle talks about that a little bit more. But the point of it is, it, it's, it's, in and of itself, it disproves the age of the earth they're wrong they'll date some they can date a rock that has a radiometric dating of millions of years but still has dna in it or and things in it fossils have dna in in the same rock well it can't be so basically it's it's nonsense that all this happened but you have to believe if you're saying that genesis 1 and 2 there's this big gap you have to say that death and destruction happened before sin because adam doesn't come until what what verse is that let's see here uh, yeah, well, actually chapter two, actually chapter three when he sins, right? So way, way after all these millions of years. So they try to fit everything in, again, to compromise and to get along with science because they believe that science has proved the earth is old. Again, it's not old. I believe that's a lie. It's just a deception. And it comes from, it was intentional. Lyle did that intentionally and, and deceived the world. So basically, I'm, Read that article if you want to. If you really doubt me, read the article by Don Williams. It's on the website. Look under it's under a blog, the latest blog I posted. I just put a link on it. Um, okay, so let's go ahead with my view, which is, in the beginning, he created the heavens and earth. Overview statement. Uh, he created everything, right? And and I think even if you say he created the heavens and the earth, that doesn't contradict what he's happening later. Because if he created the heavens and the earth, it doesn't mean he created. He hadn't created light. He didn't create the sun. He just created the heavens, which is space. He created space. He created what we call the universe. The Bible calls it the heavens, and there's three heavens. But there's also the atmosphere and all of this stuff that's going on. So he created that. And then, and when he goes on, he says the earth itself, meaning this globe that he created, he created the globe without was out was without form and void. It was empty. It was not empty, but it was it was not. Made for it had not reached its fulfillment. Why at this point it was just a glo, a blah a globe spinning. I believe it was a globe. He would have created it as a circle. I don't believe in a flat earth. It's it was a circle and it was spinning and it was a mixture. In it was a mixture of water and minerals and dirt and all of the things that eventually becomes the earth. So and it was spinning and everything was dark. It wasn't in evil darkness because of some past destruction. It was just dark. There was no light. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Well, we say, how can, I mean, how can that be? See, people say, well, Jesus was the light. He he gave light. Well, there was no light yet. Here it was dark. The earth was dark. Okay? So, if if God, God's presence, whatever, would always be light. The Holy Spirit would be light right there. He's light. Um, But he said there was Darkness. So in verse three, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, this is a very big controversy, because you know, in day four, we know that God then creates the sun and the moon. So what did God create on, on the first day of creation? Well, I believe personally, he probably created the sun. He didn't name it the sun. He hadn't created the moon yet. He hadn't created the stars. He just made the sun. And God saw that the light was good and god separated the light from the darkness well how do you separate light from darkness well the absence of light is dark <laughs> so i think as the earth is rotating as it was originally created it's rotating there's a source of light i believe it's the sun I, I, again i can't prove that i just think it's the most logical thing to say that's what he created and later he named it and put it in the you know put everything else in so again The earth is without form and void. So is the universe. All these things are not in the universe. They're just, it's blank out there. He just created the space. Then he's going to fill the space. So he creates the light. I believe it's the sun, like I said. God saw the light was good. He oh, that's cool. I like light. God separated the light from the darkness. Right? So how did he do that? Because of the rotation of the earth. So on the opposite side of the earth was dark from the sun. The opposite side of the sun was dark. And then as it spun around, it would become light. And go... Right, and he says that to this right here. The first of all, he said, verse five, God called the light day. Now, this is the one of the latest views. i would never heard this before. Doctor Walter Kaiser, um, John Lennox, another, and other and he's got your good, solid Christian. I love, I love, I love John Lennox. I think he's really good. I love his apologetics. He's got a good heart, good guy. But he believes. I think he's the one that teaches this as well. Stephen Myers. There's a number of people. Uh, you know, probably Hugh Ross. Uh, you know, all of the famous old earth teachers would teach something like this, believe something like this. So God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So what they do with verse five is they say, see the whole point of Genesis and, and the whole point of day, right, is what does the day mean? Because what the old earthers are saying, well, a day could be billions of years or the day could mean this gap between it. a day could be a short period of time, long period of time. All of these things, all their views on it, you know. But basically what they're doing in every one of these cases is they're trying to defend an old earth creation to get along with science. That's simply what they do. Hugh Ross, I'm sure he's a good guy. I've I've seen him. I saw him earlier. He's not probably as caustic as he was earlier in his ministry. But he still, you know, I mean, he he was a a complete um, evolutionist when he got saved. That was his worldview. He was an evolutionist. And he never let go of that worldview. I don't know if he's ever read Genesis with an objective eye. It's very difficult when you have a worldview that's so committed to it. Now, some would say that's the same with young earth creationists. Well, maybe that's true. But one of us is wrong. Somebody's presuppositions are wrong. And I think the presuppositions go back to why we're wrong. Naturalism, uniformity, all of those that I've talked about many times. But they're trying to say because the word day here is used as 12 hours... Are half a 24-hour period, then the word day does not mean does not always mean a 24-hour period. Well, I mean that's really kind of silly because what is he doing here? He said God called the light day and the darkness he called night. He's not redefining day. He's actually defining what a 24-hour period is. He's actually defining day. Day Daylight is the part when it's light, but a day. And night together make a day, and he says that at the end of this verse. Said that, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Jewish Shabbat starts sundown on on Friday and ends sundown on Saturday, evening and morning. It's, it's a Jewish practice. That's what they do. That's why they practice it that way. They consider Saturday to begin at midnight or at dusk on Friday, and it ends on dusk on Saturday, our Saturday, right? That's Shabbat. That's the that's the that's the Sabbath. He's not he's not making day to mean a different word. He's just defining what a day is. Daylight and night. Ask any child, what's a day? Well, you have, we have sun comes up and sun goes down, we get up suns again. Right? It's a day. That's a day, 24 hours. We know that. The earth rotated once. Here we go. Why did it rotate once? Cuz there was darkness. Why is there darkness? Cuz the light was on the other side. Now the moon gives us sunlight. The moon wasn't there on the first day, but you know, it was, you know, it came about. So basically this is just saying just simply, I mean, there's nothing in this. You can't, see, this is the thing. People look at somebody telling me, well, you have such a weak, an empty, shallow definition of day. It's not empty and shallow, it's just what it says. He's calling the light part of day, day. Of course, we call it daylight or daytime. Do we mean it's only 12? Do we mean it's not a day? Well, technically we mean it's a daylight part of a day. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's like, you strain at gnats and you swallow cows. This is just simply a definite. It's not a new ways. Oh, we found a way where day doesn't mean 24 hours. No, that's just that's I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, look, you really just are missing the point. And for greatest theologians as some of these people are, it astounds me that they go to this. All right, verse 6 and six. And again, I'm not mad at them, but I'm just saying, look it. Let's be honest about our interpretation of the Bible. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us uh, separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. So somehow, we don't know exactly what this is, but there is, you know, it was believed for a long time there was a canopy. There still could have been, even though we don't understand it, that God separated water from above the earth so that there's water in the atmosphere above the earth. He created the atmosphere, basically. So God, and there was evening, excuse me, and God called the expanse heaven. So early in verse one, he says he created the heavens and the earth. So is he recreating? No, he's telling us the details of what he did. He called the expanse heaven. So he created the heavens, the atmosphere. What we see is space and there's water in space and there was water in space then. Maybe it was the water part of the flood of the earth. We don't know for sure. I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I don't have to have an answer for everything. I don't have to understand everything that God did and exactly what he meant in every situation in the Bible to believe it. It's not based on that. Anyway, and what does he say in verse 8? God called the expanse of it, and there is evening and there is morning. What? The second day. By the way, there's 410 times outside of Genesis 1 and 2 where the word day is used with the numeral. Every time but one or two, it means a 24-hour day. Now, how do you know that? Last week, I read verses to you that said that. We'll read one in a minute here that'll show you in chapter 2. Well, it's clear it didn't mean a 24-hour day. It meant a period of time. And it can mean a period of time. Back in my Father's day, how long is that? Well, even, they says, the Bible says, even to this day, they believe that. Does he mean that literal day? No, mean. To this period of time, people still believe that this is what happened over there, or why this was called that. It's throughout the text, but it's clear that it's, that doesn't mean a 24-hour day. There's no reason to take this text and say it doesn't mean a 24-hour day, unless you're trying to to get along with the scientific worldview. This is why I say they don't get along. You can't fit them together. I'm sorry. It may cause you to run away from the faith. And well, if you run away, you didn't really understand and believe in the first place. And you really better repent first and really give your heart to God and let the Holy Spirit be the one who talks to you and speaks to you and shows you these things. Look, it is a contradiction. I'm sorry, it is. And I don't think it's gonna be resolved by reading day into all these things. So there's evening, the morning, the second day, day two. Verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heaven under the heavens be gathered into one place. What waters? Well, the waters that are all over the earth. And let them all be gathered into into one place and let the dry land appear. So basically he's like, he he sucked, you can see the waters moving all into one place, gathering and all that's left, all that mineral that was spinning around on day one, all all of that dirt, all of that becomes the earth that's much more complex than dirt. You got the crust of the earth, you got the volcanic activity, you know, you got the lava flow underneath, you got crust, you got, you know, but basically he created the landmass and separated it from the water. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. By the way, there are plural seas, but it was all in one place, but it was somehow all connected. We don't know exactly, but I believe it was a Pangaea. I believe in the Pangaea. I believe there was one land mass pretty much. You had inland oceans. You had big, not oceans, but inland lakes, large lakes. Probably the Sahara Desert was a, was a lake. Most deserts would have been lakes at that time. But we don't know that for sure either. It's just a speculation. We just don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. We spend our time trying to figure all this stuff out. I'm going, let's just read the book and buy the book, accept it, Get these principles right, and maybe we can live our lives in a more helpful way. Verse 11 And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and tree bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And that was evening and morning, the third day. So what he does on day two, he separates it on day three, he causes, he creates seeds, right? And he creates plants or he create plants with seeds and he causes them to grow. Now in a natural world, from a natural perspective, even if you had the seed, you planted the seed, you know, if you want to have a, a fruit tree that's going to produce fruit, it's going to take years, right? Maybe five, ten years before you, it actually gets fruit, depending on how well it's taken care of. Here, everything grows rapidly and is able to produce fruit. They you say, well, that can't happen. Well, no, it's because it's not natural. This is not naturalism. We're not explaining this from a natural perspective. What we're seeing is God established the laws of growth, the laws of food, the laws of living things. He's establishing them. I believe what he did, and I use this phrase, it's an accelerated natural process. So it's not like God magically made the trees. I believe he took the trees and there were seedlings, and he grew them. I believe that he grew them in a day. He grew them rapidly. They just went through. There was a, a movie, which probably a lot of the people have never seen, but it was Spock, and I think it was called Genesis or something. No, it wasn't, it wasn't called that one, but uh, it was, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but in this, they had the project Genesis, and Genesis was they had invented this thing that would fly to a dead planet and land there and just rapidly grow the planet, and it would just grow and grow and grow and grow, right? all in just like a matter of 24 hours or less. He had this. And of course, in this case, the planet continued to grow and destroyed itself, right? That <laughs> it outgrew its life or whatever. But anyway, it happened. It was just a theory. But I think that's sort of what God did. Not that he destroyed it, but but that he caused it to grow quickly. So he had plants and trees and all these things on day one, on day three of creation. So there was food there. When Adam came in three days later, he had food to eat. And he created a principle. I call them smart seeds. You take this little tiny thing. I mean, you could, you could carve seeds, you know, get wood and carve them and put all the little lines put everything and put them in the ground. And what do they do? They rot. Take that seed that God made in the tree, in the principle of the tree, right? It's in the tree. So when it, when it falls to the ground, it goes in the ground, it dies, and it produces another tree. I mean, we call that death. It's buried. And it comes back to life and produces another. Those are smart seeds. That's what God did with all of this. This was incredible, what he did. In a day, this all happened. I believe he accelerated, and I believe it slowed down for our taste today, for where we're at today. Some people believe the opposite, that He that this is that was normal and we're living in an abnormal world. Anyway, it doesn't matter. point of it is is that he caused this to grow one way or the other. He was at the natural speed, and it slowed it down for us. It was a supernatural speed, and then it slowed down for the way it is today. All right, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights. Oh, excuse me, I didn't read it. Verse 13. This is just, just a reminder. If you, don't, if you haven't figured out what a day is yet, you're still wondering in verse two, uh, chapter three, verse three. And there was evening. Again, there was the evening time in the morning, the third day, the third 24-hour period. If this phrase wasn't there, you could maybe argue that these are ages of time or something else. But with the numeral, number one, it almost always means a 24-hour day. When you add this phrase that there is no chance on the face of the earth, it doesn't mean 24 hours. People just ignore that. And this is kind of what happens. We don't like conflict. And we also don't like to be, you know, in conflict with the world. We want to get along with the world. We want to think that we don't want them to think that we're stupid. We don't want to be laughed at and mocked for our beliefs. And they will laugh at you and mock if you have this belief, mock you if you believe in a young earth. They just will. You know, if you're a Christian and have an old earth belief, I don't think it fits any better. They still mock you behind your back. But the fact of the matter is, you know, at least you seem to get along with the world. And it's about getting along with science in this. And I think science is wrong again. All right. So the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. Now, did he do that? Was that the creation of the sun? Could be. I think it was created earlier. Maybe he just created a light source, and now he put all that light into the sun. But there had to be a light source that acted as a day that allowed for there to be a 24-hour day in the earlier, earlier passage. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning again, Defining an A, the fourth day. So we need, on the fourth day, so we have have uh, a heavens or universe that's really pretty empty, or there's nothing there, because he hadn't created the stars yet. So he now creates the sun and the moon. Is he creating it or or renaming it? I I personally believe he's not creating it, but again, I don't have to know. I, I don't really understand that fully, but Every day, he every time he creates something, he ends up with the same phrase. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So even on the first day of creation, there was evening and morning. So he's saying somehow that existed. He wasn't reinterpreting day to mean something else. There was a light source. There was a circular earth that was revolving. And you had day and light. Darkness is the absence of light. So there wasn't light. There was light. And then light on the outside wasn't there. So I believe he created and he named it, maybe put it in the atmosphere at this point in time, you know, in in the firmament of been that that's what he did. We don't know for sure. But again, I don't think it gives, just because you know, they say, well, there wasn't a real day until the sun was created. Well, that's not true. Because whatever source of light there was, it was able to, number one, help plants grow. It's, you know, it was able to to help the plants grow because they had to have light. So there was a source of light that was there that would have either mimicked the sun, imitated the sun, or was the sun. And there had to be light every day and day and night because this is what he's saying. In verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly across the earth, across the expanse of heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves and with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and saw that God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning the first day. Have you ever seen those videos where they just show these swarms of fish? Just I don't know how many millions of fish. To just, and the earth is filled, the oceans are filled with that. Even after the flood, even after all that destruction. This they keep producing. How many people live on fish every day? Right? The great sea creatures. What was that? Well, some believe that was dragons. <laughs> some believe that, that was the creation of dinosaurs. That there were some dinosaurs that were created there. Great possible. That's a whole other talk of something to talk about. Verse twenty-four. And God said, "Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds." Why the earth? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. What, what does everything happen when it dies? It goes back to dust. It deteriorates back to what it was made out of, out of the earth, the earth itself. Is that a scientific principle? Doesn't everything do that? How is that just a poetry? It's not poetry. How is the swarms of animals just poetry, the swarms of birds? How about trees that produce fruit? Is that poetry? Well, I mean, it could be said in the form of a poetry, but it's fact. Everything reproduces after its kind. How is that not a fact? God made the earth, you know, so he said, "Let." Uh, okay, we read it, verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and, according, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, we don't know exactly what a kind is, but certainly a dog and a cat are not the same kind, right? There's there's nothing that would say that. So a kind, maybe there was one dog, you know, and then out of that, we I mean even today, how many species of dog are there all over the place? But they're all dogs. A dog's a dog, a dog is a dog. A cat, is a cat, is a cat is a cat, a cat is a cat. Human is a human. Neanderthals? The they were human beings. They have all characteristics of it, but they have a different head shape. Doesn't mean they weren't human. They were some sort of maybe ethnic, as Dr. Lyle says. You know, group. You know intermediate intermarriage among a group produces, you know, maybe a certain style and you know, it does, always, but they're still humans. God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is a fundamental doctrine, isn't it? We have all kinds of people that they think, well, I'm a woman, or I'm a man, or I'm a cat, or I'm a, you know, all of these things that people's minds and where their minds are going. Why? Because they don't understand the book. The book's clear. God says he made you a male or female. I'm not mad at these people, they're not my enemies but they're not living in reality. This is reality. This is not a story that was told that we don't really have to believe the details. That's a detail. We were created in the image of God. We have God's image in us. We are, we, we think and act as God does in many ways. Not that we have his power and his eternalness, but we but we are like God and we are male and female. Everyone is male and female. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do we have dominion over the saints? Pretty much. We've wiped out how many species of of animal life because we have dominion over them. And God said, behold, not that God wanted them wiped out and that we shouldn't have some sort of exercise of restraint, but they all are under our authority. Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, the breath of life, I've given every plant for green food. God made us originally vegetarians. So he said, why are you a vegetarian? No, absolutely not, I'm a carnivore. <laughs> why? Because of the flood. Something changed in the flood that and now God said eat meat. I believe they were eating meat in the old before the flood, they were destroying God's planet in a number of different ways. But <clears throat> we were originally supposed to be vegetarian. After this age ends, and when in the new earth and the new heaven and the new earth, we'll be back to vegetarian. But right now we're not. if you're vegetarian now, you're probably Misunderstanding and probably not eating exactly what you ought to eat. Again, that's a whole discussion. You can yell at me and write me comments if you disagree, but I think the Bible's teaching that. And verse 31 And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So we have six days of creation. Now, there's no chapter break here, technically, in the, in the Hebrew. In verse, chapter 2, verse 1, says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, later on, he talks about, in Exodus, he talks about the specifics of this day, um, I don't really have time. We're we're I'm over time right now. We're going pretty long. Uh, but, you know, basically, God rested on this day. It didn't mean people believe this is a day of rest. And I really don't have time to get into that. But I believe it, was, it meant the seventh day was a day of rest. We are to rest one day a week. It's principle. We don't have to do it on the Sabbath. We can do it on Sunday. But we have to rest one day a week and honor God for his creation. That's why we did it. God rested. What does it mean? Was he tired? I don't know. I I doubt he was tired, but he did expel energy and do things. It wasn't just, he spoke it into existence. It's powerful. I don't know how God works. I don't understand that. But he rested. It means he stopped from his day of creation. So God says to us, work six days and take a break. No, that's, I believe that's what it means. All right. So when we go through this chapter, again, exegetically, You there's no gap. There's no millions of years between each day. It's not there. It just goes on from day to day to day. It's a simple narrative. I mean, is it narrative that when he rested and the earth was finished and the host of them? Is that narrative? Yeah, of course it is. Right. I I mean, this is how it, it works. Now, sometime we need to maybe teach through Genesis chapter 2. Maybe I will do that next week. And teach through Genesis chapter 2 and address the idea of rest. I think I'll do that next week. But right now we can see just simply from looking at the text and looking at all the details of it, are there conflicts? Yes. Was the sun created on day one or was it created on day four? What does that say? What does that mean? Well, again... You can say, well, it literally means it was created on day four. But he also said he created a source of light. So we don't know what that is. So I know for sure he created a source of light that I think was able to provide what the earth needed. Again, maybe he just created light and then the earth was already moving. So there was darkness. So he just created that whole scenario that we have darkness being the absence of light. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying this is a solid exegesis of the chapter one of Genesis. It's very clear. I don't think it's that questionable at all. So I, I just want to say this again. You can be a non-believer or you can be a Christian and believe opposite of this. But I'm saying from my perspective, this is a dogmatic teaching. It's very clear. And we'll look. I think we will just, we have to take one more week. I'm sorry. So next week, we'll talk about the day of rest. What is the Sabbath rest? We'll talk about that idea. There's some interesting thoughts with that. Sabbath day of rest and what about Genesis 2? Is it a different account of creation? So we're going to do that next week. Anyway, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Look, at, if you like this video, would you, go, would you subscribe to it on YouTube? You can go to our Facebook. You can like it there. Follow us. You can go to our website and you can subscribe there. Uh, we've got some interesting things coming up. I do want to do a class on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if people out there are interested in that, please go to our website and sign up for that. And... Um, Anyway, other than that, God bless you. I hope you have a great week. and hope you, hope you grow closer to Jesus. If you like this stuff, would you please send me a comment and, and encourage us that way. And, of course, if you want to support us, we're always available to take support. Uh, we do have a place to do that on the website. Anyway, God bless you.